you full-time? I thought you were always full-time. No, uh, that's actually just recent. So, um, yeah, coming off uh, last week, which was in some ways uh, far more impactful than I actually thought it would be, uh, and it kind of lined up perfectly with the text in kind of telling our story, uh, but we're going to get back into some of kind of the meat of uh, Nehemiah in a bit. Uh, before I do uh, read uh, the scripture for this morning, I just want to remind you, if you're brand new, uh, you'll find on the back table there a little connect card. Uh, it's literally there for you to have the opportunity to connect with Urban Grace in uh, whatever way you want to. Uh, there's things that you can check off there if you're actually just even interested in, in talking about Jesus because this is the first time you've heard about Jesus. Uh, we'd love to do that as well. Um, and that kind of reminds me uh, just why we're here. We are here not because uh, there aren't other things to do. Uh, if there was one day of the week that was like a snow day that you could stay inside and uh, just hang out in your pajamas, today would have been that day. Uh, but we actually believe there's a reason to get up uh, because Jesus got up from the grave uh, a little over 2,000 years ago, and uh, we have news to tell about him, and he makes a difference in our lives. So that's really what we're about here at Urban Grace Church, and hopefully you'll pick up some of the other things that go along. I'm not going to talk about uh, how we kind of do church, because that's actually right into uh, the text this morning. And so without further ado, let me just read the text for you this morning. It's in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. And if you don't have a Bible here this morning, would you just raise your hand? And the reason why we do that is because we'd like to give you a Bible, at least to use during the service, if you don't have a Bible at all, and this is the first Bible that you've touched in, in years, please take it home with you. Uh, because we, you're going to need it the next time you come back. So a little plug for us, uh, a little gift for you. Um, so put up your hand and one of the ushers will, will give you a free Bible. Uh, for, for those who are there, and, and if you're not there, just start listening along. It's actually a short passage as compared to last week. It's a lot easier to read as well than last week. But it begins in chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 8. And this is, what, you know what? Um, I almost forgot to do this. Uh, we don't normally do this here. This is because some of you have come from really religious backgrounds, and uh, some of the things we do as a church feel a little religious. But the text actually says the people stood to read the Scripture, and so I think it's probably apt if I could just get you to stand while we read the Scripture, and we'll explain why we're doing this at a later date, or your app, whatever it is you're using. Ezra chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden plat, or sorry, did I, I missed something. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from the early morning until midday in the presence of those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Messiah, Matithiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masaiah, on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Malkajai, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masai, Kelida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Let's pray as we're still standing. 
Jesus. It's very clear that these people had great respect for your word. And this is because they, they understood something that sometimes we forget, Jesus, and that is you are the word become flesh. And so this morning, as we hear from wor- your word, the, the words on this page, may they not be simply words on a page, but may they be living words for us that cut us deeply in our souls and our hearts and convict us of places where we need convicting and encourage us in places where we need encouraging and and give us support where we need support. And Jesus, we ask this because we know that simply reading the Scripture out, simply preaching the Scripture out without the power of your Holy Spirit won't accomplish anything here this morning. But with your Spirit, Jesus, it will accomplish whatever you choose it to accomplish. And so we pray, Jesus, this morning that your spirit would bless us through your grace, not because we deserve it, not because we have earned it, but because we are simply asking on behalf of your name, on behalf of your grace, would you do this for your people, for your glory? And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Again, what we're in a series called Magnesivitus, which um, if you haven't picked up on it by now or are new, is a Latin phrase uh, that literally means great city, backwards and forwards. Actually, Civitus Magnus also means great city. And it's this idea that as, as the gospel begins to come into our hearts and it develops people who love Jesus, and recognize Jesus as the King and the Savior, that that turns those kind of people into great missionaries who then serve and love the city. And if they do that, that means that this city should, because of the preaching of the gospel, become a better city. That's actually what we totally believe. That's right in the DNA of our church. You'll hear it a lot. And so this series is uh, from Nehemiah, but although it's about the rebuilding of a wall in Nehemiah, you'll notice very quickly that it's not really just about rebuilding the wall in Nehemiah. It's not really just about rebuilding the physical structure of the wall or rebuilding the city or making that city a great city. It's really about developing a nation of God's people that serve and love their God. And so that's why we think it's a really good opportunity for us to, as we think about how do we make this city a better city, uh, our goal is not to simply make this city a better city, but to bring Jesus to this city, but in turn that will make this city a better city. Who doesn't want more citizens in it that love each other, that serve each other, that, that serve selflessly, that give uh, sacrificially, that are generous and kind and great neighbors. I don't know what mayor, I don't know what council, city council, wouldn't want more citizens like that. But we believe that the best way to do this, in fact, we believe that the perfect way to do this is to simply preach the gospel and let the gospel do its work and it will make this a great city. And so this is our series, Magna Civitas. But you might have noticed that, you know, even as we are going through the text, uh, just to bring you up to speed, that Nehemiah has already built the wall. So what has happened in the in the story so far is Nehemiah has had a call from a, a strange country and he's come back to his hometown of Jerusalem. and he's, he's led the charge of bringing the people of Jerusalem kind of back into a, a cohesive effort to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But as he's done this, he's faced a lot of opposition. He's faced a lot of uh, pushback from what he's doing. And yet he's still continued on and he's courageously faced all that opposition. And he's really uh, dug deep into what God's call on his life was. And he, he had what I believe is his heart broken by God. And God, for some gracious reason, gave him the heart of Jesus. And he began to lead this charge. And so we're, we're a long way through the story because we're at the finishing of rebuilding the wall. Now, if you're smart you'll notice that we're only in chapter 8, and there are more than 8 chapters in the book of Nehemiah. Because this isn't, a, um, this isn't a book just about rebuilding that wall. This is actually a book about rebuilding the people of God. And I asked one commentator about this, and he, I, I said, do you think Nehemiah had in his mind more than just the physical structures of rebuilding the wall? And, and, and the, the uh, scholar said, Absolutely. 
And there's kind of these little grammatical proofs in the text that show that when Nehemiah felt this call to come and rebuild the city, he knew that he was moving towards rebuilding more than just the walls of the city. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning is we're finished building the wall. And that's why uh, thematically we're finished building our wall. Our wall isn't any bigger because our construction people said, do not use cinder blocks anymore for uh, your decorations because they are heavy. They scrape and uh, it's a real pain to, to do that every week. And so we kind of have like a half wall there, but that's our version of the finished wall. Okay. So just imagine for a second, that's a finished wall. Um, because, you know, sim- symbolically we're, we're there and now we're really moving into what does it take to rebuild the people of God? Now, what's interesting that I find is after Nehemiah gives this long list of people that were involved in rebuilding the wall, the first thing that comes up is an attention to the word of God. That's the very first thing that's, that's after this rebuilding of the wall. And I think that's not, not only is that not an accident, I think that's very purposeful and that's very uh, cyclical when you look through Scripture. That whenever God begins to do a work in his people, it's, it's literally like the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of repentance comes first. And so that's in chapter one, Nehemiah himself has to repent. And then as he's building the wall, the very first kind of recovery ministry that he does in the people is he brings back the word of God. In fact, the people realize this. The people ask for the rebuilding of the word of God in the whole community. Now, you wonder why God's word seems so important, why this place in this particular passage at this particular time. But I want to remind you very quickly that God's word has always been really important to him. In fact, the lack of looking at God's word has gotten these people into this mess in the first place. In that day and age, in that culture, we didn't get we we could never do what we just did. We could never stand and all of you had your own Bibles. That's actually something that only has happened in the last 400 years, if you can believe it. For the majority of life on this earth, the the average person did not have access to the Word of God like we did. They did have access to, to people like prophets who would preach. So this was literally preaching and speaking out the Word of God was really the only way in which they could hear the Word of the Lord. And, and you know, that's why in... in in the first five books of the Bible, there's a lot of emphasis on hear the word of the Lord. That's why in Psalms, you hear David saying, I meditate on the word of the Lord, because that is a really big deal. In fact, God made it an instruction for the king. The king was required by the law of God to know the word of God at all times, to keep a copy in his own, uh, in his own office, which was, would have been kind of strange. For the king to do that, that was something that only a select few people in culture and society were able to do. And God's word has always been important. In fact, I'll go right back to the book of Genesis and explain to you how important the word of God is to God. It's the very first thing that we see. In the beginning, God speaks creation into existence. This is kind of a common theme that I have in our home when I ask my kids. It's kind of a trick question. So I say, how did God create the world? And, you know, at first it was like, uh, oh, he waved his hand, poof, right? You know, whenever we kind of have these um, magic stories or fairy tales, it's always with a wand. You ever notice that? It's like something like this or it's like abracadabra, poof. There's something with our hands. But this is how God created the world. It's almost like he could do it with his hands in his pockets and say, be. Like, this is how important the word is to God. And so it's no surprise to me that because literally creation actually comes into existence by God preaching it into existence. It is no surprise to me that when God begins to do a new work in any of his people groups, he does it through the preaching and the Focus on the Word. On His Word. Through the Word we find out how sinful we are, but through the Word we also find out how loving He is. 
Through the Word we find out all kinds of things that are destructive to not just our lives, but our spiritual lives. Through His Word we find all of the remedy we need for that. Even Jesus said, through the Word, you actually find out who Jesus is. He says, sometimes some of you just look in the Bible for things that you should do better. He said, you should be looking for me. One of the first things he does after post-resurrection is he goes on a long walk with people and explains how he is in every single page of the text that they know. He says, you are looking for information. You should be looking for me. And what I want you to see is that this is not only not an accident, this is instructive for every single church, for every single church plant, for every city group, for every service that we ever do, that the Word of God must be clearly spoken and clearly prioritized in the community if we expect God to move. It's just the way it works. So let's get into the bulk of what we're going to talk about this morning. I want There's four things that I see. I'm not going to concentrate on all four in the same way, but I am going to highlight four things. The first thing that I see in the text, and this is the way narrative is, it doesn't really do this nice bullet point thing. Have you noticed that? Like the story is kind of organic, so it's like perfect for hipsters and the postmodern crowd, because it just kind of There's the story in and around. So the first thing I saw was that the word was a priority to everyone. And I saw that in verse 1 and I saw that in verse 4. And they gathered as as one man. Ladies, don't, don't, don't be offended by this. This is just like one person. It's like one body. That's that's the description here. In verse 4, it says this. And and, and they stood on a wooden platform and they have all these people. All this list of people. So the, the, the leaders are up on the platform. So I'd be like, all our city group leaders stand up here. You guys stand. We all stand. And I read out the scripture. And, and literally, they read out the, the Pentateuch, the book of the law, which consisted of the five books of Moses. So that's uh, ex, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I doubt they got through the whole thing because it's kind of a lot like chapter 7. Can you imagine reading that out? loud and not being able to laugh (laughs) reading all those names that's kind of what the the picture uh, of Ezra reading because Nehemiah really he's not a pastor he's not even a church planter he understands this is not this is not his role he needs someone who knows what the word is talking about to stand up and so he says everyone stand up and, and he kind of he hands off his leadership to Ezra, and Ezra reads the book out loud. But it's very clear that this is a priority for absolutely everyone. This is not just a priority for the leaders because the people ask the leaders to do it. As they look back and, and they hear, uh, we see later on that there's quite a response to the reading and the preaching of the book of the law. People begin to understand they haven't been doing things exactly in the right way. And this, again, is what Scripture is here to help us for. It's here to correct us. First Timothy says that's all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correction. And, and literally, we found that out last week. Literally, all Scripture is useful, isn't it? I mean, many of you were stunned that we would even take the time to read that out loud But at the end of the morning, some of you said, this is one of the best Sundays. All Scripture, my friends, is useful for correction. All Scripture is useful for rebuke. All Scripture is useful for encouragement. Not in the same way, of course not. Not in the same tone. Not even at the same length. But all Scripture is useful to do exactly what it does for these people, which is explain to them what's going on in their life. And let me just begin to talk about then that we take this seriously here at Urban Grace because the Word is a priority here. You notice that again, we take the time to read out the Scripture even when it takes a lot of time. Even when it's hard to read. I don't make you read the harder parts. Because I think I'm a gracious pastor in that respect. 
But it's a real important part of what we do. And there's always this temptation to go, I won't read the Scripture because it doesn't really matter. Actually, that's disobedient to Scripture. Did you know that? Because the Scripture in 1 Timothy, when Paul is talking to a young pastor, a young church planter, he says, um, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. He doesn't just say preach the Word. He doesn't just say teach the Word. He says don't neglect the public reading of Scripture. And sometimes when we read it out loud, some things happen that would never happen in any other way. Because now when I say this is in the text, you've, no, you've heard the text. You're able to process this. And so at Urban Grace, first of all, the Word is a big priority here. It's a priority in the big it's a priority in the big. We give it a big place in the service. Bigger than some of you are used to, I'm sure. That was probably an adjustment for some of you who are new. You're like, wow, they either really believe in the word or that guy can just talk a lot. Well, it's both, okay? But seriously, one of the reasons I, I think that we have to take the time to preach is because not very many of us have a, a, a large storage of biblical literacy. We don't know our Bibles really well, and we have to learn some of the stories. But this is a big priority. We take a lot of time to go through the text, because sometimes we just need to marinate in the text for a while. And take on the flavor of the text, and, and, and sit there and think through And I'm not worried if, if you daydream about what the Word of God is doing in your own life while I talk. In fact, I'm actually assuming that. But this is a big place. This will always be a big place in our big meetings. I love the words of Martin Luther on this. Who said, really, the, the, the word is, is kind of what God uses to do the work in his church through his spirit. Did you know that in, in, in the Old Testament, those, those things, word is kind of breath which is kind of spirit. So the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are like really closely linked um, grammatically in the Old Testament. This is what Martin Luther said. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, you had me at drink Wittenberg beer, the Word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The Word did everything. I mean, that's typical Martin Luther, if you know him at all. Hey, I just preached and drank beer. And the Word did its work. Um, yeah. That's kind of how it goes. For some, for, or for some of you, I preached and drank Coke. But literally, Martin Luther said, I, I just preached and let the Word do its work. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. There was a whole reformation just out of the recovery of the Bible. Just because the Bible got into the hands of the people again. And the Bible was made in plain language. Some of you forget that there was a time in history where that wasn't the case. You know, last week I think was helpful for some of you because you were like, I did not realize that's what it took to get this Sunday morning experience. But some of us need to remember that there were times where no matter how hard you wanted to know the Word of God, you had to depend upon a service, a preacher, someone explaining this to you because you couldn't read and you couldn't own books because you couldn't afford it. And so it's always going to be a priority here. Secondly, we, we, we have a priority in the small. Um, now, when we say the big, that's this big gathering. That's kind of the way we do our church. We do the big and we do the small. And you'll hear this from me almost every Sunday. That the big is the gathering where we gather together to hear the preached word. And the small is where we learn how this, this word kind of goes into our life, how the gospel is working in our lives and how we obey it. And so this, these are the places where we can ask questions and, and we can find out what's going on, like find out what God is doing when you come into the big and, and hear the word. We can find out what is actually going on in your heart. Now, one thing I should clarify is that we don't call our small groups Bible studies. When someone says, I'm going to come to Bible study, part of me just kind of cringes because that's not really the design of it. 
The design is not to get into a Bible study as you would know a Bible study. And here's the reason for that. I really don't believe we live in a day and an age where we need more information about the Bible. That does not seem to me to be the Achilles heel of our society. Lack of information. Is it to you? Do you find that you're like, man, I just wish our society had more information about stuff. I mean, have you seen the internet recently? I mean, it is chock full of things that you do not make any difference to your life whatsoever, do not affect your life, and do not help your life. We don't live in this day and an age where we're struggling to find out, well, what does the Bible actually say? There's lots of great resources that help us with that. We believe that a lot of this happens in the big. What we find is the big weakness is people don't know how it applies to their very life. They don't know how to repent very well. They don't understand how the gospel is working for them specifically. And and I believe this so much that I'm willing to not call our small groups Bible studies. I'm willing to not, you know, we don't have other programs. We don't have other teaching opportunities in our church. We don't have secondary classes. You notice we don't have Sunday school. Some of you are like, thank the Lord. That's why I chose this church. We don't have those things. Why? Because I don't believe they're useful. Actually, I believe they can be very useful. But I think our big weakness is we've got really fat heads full of lots of knowledge, but we have no muscles. We have, we have lots of things that we know about God, but we don't know how God actually works in our life. We can share about, we can debate with each other on, you know, I believe God is like this, or I believe God is like that, or I believe the text is like this, or I believe the text says this. But we really struggle to say, I believe the text made me think about this. And that text convicted me about this. And I've got to change some things in my life. That's what we really struggle with. And you know what? We've even seen this in our city groups. That we have to constantly fight against this idea that we just need more information or we just need to debate a topic and that will solve anything. And my friends, I just do not believe it will. There will come a time, I'm sure, and there are times when you need to hammer through conversations and and theology and doctrine and all that kind of stuff. But some of you are not in church because that's all church was. Some of you, this is your first return to church because all church had been for you was some sort of intellectual MMA match. Where if you could just put the right chokehold on someone, you, you won and you grew in your spiritual life. And the Bible actually warns us about this very thing. Paul, the apostle who planted a lot of churches, said, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. If you have a lot of knowledge, he said, it doesn't really matter. He goes on later to say in 1 Corinthians, if you have all the gifts, like if you understand every gift, but you don't love one another, he said, you have nothing. You're like a resounding gong. Any of you have the resounding gong on your iPhone alarm, by the way? You ever wake up to that? None of us. That's the worst alarm in the world. No idea why they put that on there. It's probably for, you know, five and six-year-olds to bug their parents, maybe. But Paul says, if you have knowledge but don't have love, that's what you sound like when you talk. Those annoying alarms on your iPhone. Or your galaxy or, you know, whatever it is you use. How can you tell I'm a Mac guy? So in, in our city groups, you want to stay away from like, if you want to come to city groups and you get really disappointed because there's not a lot of information, I say, there's, there's a lot of other resources where you can just figure stuff out in terms of the knowledge. But what city groups are for is to say, well, what, like, the, the Word of God is like a seed, and the seed needs soil. And city groups are like, how is the Word working in your life? Not how is the Word working in theory. And the reason why I'm preaching about this is because I know this is a very real temptation for all of us. Because we are in an over-informationed age. 
where we are so addicted, our culture is so addicted to more information. We just think if we can just get more information, I'll tell you what. Right now, if you could act on everything you knew about God, you probably have all you needed to live your Christian life. I'm not saying information is bad. I'm just saying there's a danger here. And in our culture, I think the pendulum has swung all that way. And so I'm, I'm preaching to everyone, but I'm also preaching to city groups to say, this is, watch out for this. That your community doesn't become the theological fight club. The doctrine MMA octagon. That it becomes a place of warmth where it becomes like a hospital where you say, I can come and I can get recovery from what the Word is teaching me. But friends, that's the priority in the big and the priority in the small. And then I think there's the priority in the personal. And the reason why I say that is because some of you think that your intake of the Word, that priority of the Word in your life means, oh, I go to church every Sunday and hear a message, and then I go to my city group every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, whatever it is. And I get the word going in deep and I say, if that's it, if that's the only place you are partaking of the word, friends, you will still have a fairly weak spiritual life. Think about think about this for a second. What's a healthy what's a healthy menu look like for you? Like, do you say, okay, I'm going to plan out my meals for the week. So one hour on Sunday morning, I'm going to eat as much as I can. And then on Thursday night, I'm going to eat over the course of four hours. How many doctors would say that's a healthy menu? None. Not even the super Western medicine doctors. They would say, that's really imbalanced. What do you need? Well, a lot of them actually say you need four meals a day. And I want you to think in terms of priority in the big, yes, that's important. Priority in the small, yes, that's an important. But I also want to encourage and persuade you of the priority in the personal at all times. And some of you who are in bigger situations than others or worse situations than others will need like regular small meals a lot. You'll need to snack a lot on Scripture. And here, I'm just going to, instead of, you know, trying to make you feel really guilty, I'm just going to talk about um, kind of my own habits and, and the way it works for me. And before I even do that, there was a proverb that really jumped out to me this past week. I read a blog and I thought it was really good. It's from Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verse 5. And it says this, He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings Shame. So think about this for a second. Um, if you were trying to gather money, any wise financial steward will tell you what's the best way to think about your money. You, you gather and you save money for a rainy day, right? Is that not one of the keys of financial planning is you plan for those times in your life where you have less money than other times. And so if you have a good job, a financial counselor will likely sit down with you and they'll say, okay, why don't you set aside three months of like living expenses so that in case of emergency, you can draw from those three months? Okay, that's wise financial stewardship, isn't it? Now, what I want to say is, I think some of us think of um, kind of Scripture as in this, I will just go to Scripture when I need it. And so we don't read the Bible regularly. We don't read it kind of daily because it doesn't feel like we need it. And I would say, use the same kind of thought process that you would use for wise financial principles. In other words, don't just think of like using Scripture just for that day or just for that moment or just for that problem. Think of it like this, that you're, if you're a wise person, you gather when the get going's good and when you have time, as opposed to just gathering when you just feel desperate. How many of you read your Bible when you get really desperate? Right? Okay? How many don't read your Bible unless you're really desperate? Anyone? Okay, you need to read the Exodus don't lie portion of Scripture. I'm kidding. We're so apt to just try and gather when we're really desperate. And I think I I just heard that proverb and I was like, oh, that's really good advice. You know, we have a, a, a... pretty young church, a lot of young people, a lot of new families, 
a lot of families that are going to have babies very quickly. And that's awesome. But I think some of us think like the times until we're, before we're in a relationship are kind of wasted times. And I'm speaking primarily now to like single people who have some more open schedules. Now is summertime. Think of now as summertime. Believe me, when you have two children and one of them is like crap in their diaper and the other one is like wrecking all your pencils and the other one's like pouring Cheerios everywhere, you don't have a lot of time. It's not summertime. It's harvest time. You don't sleep through that. You work through that. And so this, even this blog said, when you know, you're in that time and place where you still have time to get up early and, and chew on the word for a bit, do it. Because there's a harvest time coming where it's going to be difficult to find time. You ask any, any new mom, how much free time do you have? Right? Any new mom? You have a lot of free time on your hands? No. No, you don't. You find out very quickly you've just lost... Although you've gained this beautiful baby, you just lost your schedule. And for the new dads, it's pretty similar in a different way. You lose a lot of your free time. And so my recommendation is, is gather like it's summertime. Gather before you actually need Scripture. And some of us don't read Scripture because we're like, well, I don't really need it. I don't have anything really pressing. Um, my life's going pretty good. God obviously must really be blessing me. And so I don't really feel this great desire or need to get into Scripture. And I would say, I think you're mistaking what potentially could come harvest time where you are going to wish you had free time to gather. And so here's what I do. Here are some of the ways that I gather, even when life isn't so pressing. And so a lot of this is is outside of my message preparation and going through the Word. I have the luxury of studying the Word a lot. But I find that just doing that is not enough. When you do it for a living, sometimes it's a greater temptation not to read the Word. And so here are some of the ways that I do it. Hopefully they'll be helpful to you. Here's one of the ways I gather. I got a journal Bible. Okay, that's why I'm preaching from it this morning. Okay. Uh, here's what a journal Bible is. It's like a Bible with like a journal in it. Okay. Does this make sense to everyone? Can you see that? Um, they're like 30 bucks on Amazon or 35 bucks for the, some of it's hard to write small. I get that. Um, but some of you, some of us have every excuse, eh? Oh, the printing's too small. Oh, blah, 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 blah. This comes from the idea like, there was a time where you didn't have these. You can go on Amazon or Chapters and order a journal Bible. There was a time, I think this idea actually came from Jonathan Edwards, who painstakingly had one his old King James Bible, slowly, page by page, took apart every single page in his Bible, inserted a blank page in between every page in his Bible, and sewed his Bible back together by hand. It was like this thick. Or, okay? That's, I think, where that idea came from. Now, Crossway will do it for you for 35 bucks, and it looks like a moleskin. So you can even be a hipster. It looks like a big journal. Now, here's why this is important. You know how I remember things? I remember things often by writing them down. That really helps me. I remember things by underlining them. You say, well, it takes a long time to read through. Yeah, but in that time, when I slow down and I underline something, I look at it three or four or five times. When I write something on the side like, that's a good point, that may seem really silly to you, but I've taken now 30 seconds to think about this one verse. And I've noticed that as I write these things down, I begin to remember them. My wife often says, I don't know how you remember things. And when I was a teenager, I had trouble paying attention. Surprise! (laughs) Some of you are like, what took you so long to figure that out? I actually took an official counselor to tell me that. Uh, but one of, the, one of the learning disabilities the counselor said I had is I had, re- I had a lot of trouble remembering things that I didn't understand. And so it, this is a way that helps me understand. And I go really, really slow through Scripture. It takes me a long time. 
You know those year-long Bible reading programs? Often I'm like a quarter way through, and then I'm like, oh, i got to start in Genesis again this January. I'm trying my hardest to get through it all this year, but I'm so slow with it because that's how I remember things, by writing them down. And So if that's what helps you, like you don't need a journal Bible. You could use a regular Bible with a journal. You could do what Jonathan Edwards did. Pull your whole Bible apart, put a page in between, and then sew it back together. I'm sure there's binders even in this city that would do that for you. That's one thing that helps me. Um, how many of you have a quite a long commute to work? Anyone like have a commute of like 15 minutes or more? Okay, some of you are urban. Um, for those of you who do that, what, what do you do on the way generally? Listen to the radio, listen to the news. Here's what I would recommend. Get the Bible on audio. There's free apps. There are like cheap apps that can plug like the Bible right into your stereo. You can actually hear someone read the Bible to you as you go to work. You say, well, I can't pay attention. You know, I don't pick up everything. Again, I don't want you to make excuses. I just want to say this is a way of collecting. Just hearing it over and over again. So what if you have to listen to the same thing over and over again? It's a great way to get scripture in your head. It's a great way to collect in the summertime. Um, Here's another one, the ESV Study Bible. You notice that I preach from the ESV, and uh, these are getting cheaper and cheaper. This is like the big first version. Um, it actually doubles as like a late-night weapon because it's huge. I think it weighs probably eight pounds. Um, they've made a student version that's only $30. And, again, one of the reasons why we don't read a lot of Scripture sometimes is because we don't understand it. This kind of Bible, it gives you a commentary. See, there's a commentary right there at the bottom. It helps you study the Bible as you read it. That's why they call it a study Bible. I'm saying some of these things simply to, say, to, to, to perhaps persuade you or even remind you. That probably, like, some of you need to take some time to study your Bible a little bit better. There's the ESV study Bible. We should have these for sale in the back. Um, but as we've noticed, not many people buy books. So this is our plug for studying for uh, our, our books at the back. We have some of them for sale at, in our own church. Uh, this is the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is the curriculum that our children are going through at this point. They've been going through this for about a year. For those of you who have taught it, for those of you who have read it, this is a fantastic book. And one of the reasons why we often don't read some of these parts of the Old Testament is we don't think they're about Jesus. And Sally Lloyd-Jones would tell you otherwise. No, all the stories are about Jesus. And I've heard from people, I was like, wow, I did not know that was in the story of Noah. I didn't know Jesus was in there. And we talk about Jesus a lot. Some of where we talk about Jesus is in the Old Testament. This is another one, uh, the Big Picture Story Bible. This is what we use um, when we have our, I will call them sporadic family devotions. We don't do it every morning, but we do it not really that consistently. Because it's hard to gather in the harvest time, but we do gather a bit. And my oldest daughter, Dinah, knows this story backwards and forwards. And actually, we've noticed that just simply going through this over and over again, gathering in the summertime, she now wants to read it. And she, when Eve asks a silly question, like this is Eve, like, why is that person drawn that way? You know, why is that? Dinah will explain everything and, and she knows kind of the general storyline of the Bible. This isn't because every single day we spend an hour in the Word. This is because we just gather when the pressure was off. And we just taught some simple stories. I mean, if you can't read this, I wouldn't let you drive. Because it's about, it takes about as much energy to read this as it does to read this, the signs as you drive around the city. Okay? So if you're like, I'm not a reader, hey, we've got a great book for you. It will explain the story of God in such a short, there's pictures. I'm trying to take away all your excuses. But one of the things that's really helpful for me is I gather for my family. And as I gather for my family, and let me take an aside here. I don't have a lot of time left. But, but as I gather for my family, I find myself learning. 
And here's where I want to talk to the men. Okay? I'm talking to men. Ladies, you can listen in, but you can't be critical. (laughs) When Jesus, through Paul, talks about husbands loving your wives, listen to this. Listen to what he says. Paul says this, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. We believe that here, by the way, men. That this is the high call on men. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands-to-be, love your future wives. And this is the way you'll do it. So single guys aren't out of this. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Do you hear that, men? One of the ways that you reveal Jesus is by explaining the Word to your wife. That's one of the ways in which you image Jesus. So there should be no excuses in urban grace for women to go, especially wives in particular, to go, I don't really know and understand my Bible. Honestly, I would say, what's wrong with your husband? Your husband should be doing this, at least trying this. I know so many wives are like, I just kind of wish sometimes my husband would just give it a try. Just make an effort at us, seriously. If you're looking for ways, like, read this. This is pretty simple. Read this one. These are pretty simple ways. Talk about this. Explain this. You have my word, ladies. We will go after men again and again on this issue. And here's what's cool is, men, if you don't know your Bibles, having to teach it to your wives and your family is a really big help. One of the ways I think we learn best is we have to teach others. And so that's the last one I have. Teach and tell others what you're learning. If you want to learn how to gather, start teaching and telling others what you're learning. Sign up for children's ministry. There's nothing like the difficulty of having to explain how sovereign God is to a four-year-old, especially mine. It's good for us. I mean, if you have to break it down for a four-year-old, Pete says this to me all the time, man, if you have to break it down for a four-year-old, you really got to know what you're talking about. You got to understand this. And sometimes as you're teaching the four-year-old and they get it, you're like, hold on, I'm not, I haven't got this yet. And this is the way God works. Hebrews 5.11 says, About this we have much to say, for it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Did you hear that word constant practice? What's constant practice? It's collecting in the summertime. It's figuring out what the text says so that you can explain it to somebody else. The writer of Hebrews basically says, you know, you keep coming and consuming all the time. You should be providing. I don't believe we grow as Christians if we just stay consumers. Some of you are so frustrated with your personal relationship with Jesus, and it's not going anywhere. But that's because you have a consumer mentality towards your spiritual life. That you think it's all about what you get. In fact, some of you, that's why you even come to this church. It's so that you can receive, you can receive, you can receive, you can receive, you can receive. And that's okay for a season. But at some point, we got to grow up. Again, I'll I'll explain this through the life of my four-year-old. I do not expect her to provide my meals. I don't want her to. She would be a disaster if I said, can you make sure that we have some baking, Eve? Not a chance. Because she would sign up for it. She's not ready for that. But if she's sitting in my basement at age 35, and she's going, well... 
I'd like to eat, but I don't know how to make anything. What would, what would you tell me? What you, what, how would you counsel me? You'd say, tell her to go make her own meals. That's kind of ridiculous. And I think sometimes as Christians, we're the 35-year-old in our parents' basement. We expect to just come in every Sunday to a pastor and, and he'll grind up our food for us, put it in a little blender so we, don't have, we barely have to just put it up to our mouth, take a sip. It's very healthy. But we have no idea how to make a meal for someone else. We want to be a culture here where this is perpetual, that we're doing this on a regular basis. Teach and tell others what you are learning and you will start to know your scripture. So how do you know scripture? Well, what would you do if next week I told you, you have to teach somebody about Nehemiah chapter 8? What would you do? Do that. If I told you, you have to really, you have to explain Galatians to someone who's never read Galatians before. And I said, um, you know, th- this is your job and you've got two days. What would you do? Would you go, well, I don't. I... You'd be like, well, I better ask somebody who knows what they're talking about. I better get me one of them study Bibles. I'm probably going to read that Jesus storybook Bible again. Yeah, that's what you do. Because scripture actually says You're not supposed to stay a consumer. You're supposed to be a multiplier. You're supposed to teach other people who teach other people. It's called disciple making. It's actually the only thing God commanded us to do when He rose from the dead. Go make disciples. You can't make disciples if you don't know the Word. There's no way you can. Or you'll make the wrong disciples. Okay, that was the big portion of the Sunday. I'm going to whip through everything else. Okay? I'm not kidding. I'm whipping through everything else. Secondly, the word was everyone's responsibility. I know I talked to the men. I know I talked to the men. But this is everyone's responsibility. It's cool that in the text, the people gathered towards the water gate. This means they didn't gather in the temple. And the temple is the place where only by the law of God men were allowed to be. And so they actually gathered where men and women and children and anyone who could understand heard it. This is why at some point we move from children's ministry to in this service. Right now, my nine-year-old is making notes. That's not an accident. She's here because I believe she's old enough to understand what's going on. And I asked her, I look over her notes. It's better than some of yours, by the way. I'm not kidding. If you miss the points in the service, you talk to Dinah. She will have them written out. That's what it was like. Does she get everything? Of course she wouldn't get everything. Some of you don't get everything. I don't get everything. But as we begin to understand, I think we need to treat ourselves like we've got to grow up here. This is all of our responsibility. You can't point just at your pastor, just at your city group leader and say, I'm not learning anything about the word. They will deal with God. God will deal with them. Absolutely. It's their responsibility to explain this and, and work it out. Absolutely. But it is your responsibility personally. To learn not just how to eat food, but how to make a meal for yourself and then be able to make it for someone else. This is how we explain it. I had a conversation with a friend of mine about a month ago, or three months ago, I guess, somewhere in there. Two months ago, can't remember. This is not important. And I asked, so, like, how's your intake of the word? And this person basically said, well, I listen to messages all the time. Well, what about Bible? Well, I don't really understand the Bible. I said, okay, okay, I get that. Why? Ah, you know what? I don't understand everything. Okay, okay, okay. I get that. I've been there. I said, but, you know, at some point, you really have to... Listening to messages as your way of intaking the word is like taking a fruit, a fruit slushy every day that someone else makes for you. Doesn't, it's not hard on your digestive system, you know, uh, it's got all of your nutrients right there. You don't really, you don't have to cook it. You don't have to do any work. 
Just like, grab it, drink it. It's good for you. Now, I'm pretty sure, even though some would say otherwise, you can't live like that. In fact, the Bible says, at some point, you've got to learn how to make solid food for yourself. And at some point, you've got to learn how to make solid food for others. We believe that everyone here is called to be a missionary, but if you're a missionary, you have to know what kind of the mission is about. So if we say you're a missionary, but you're not really teaching about the Word, we're not sure you're on the right mission. And the Word continually corrects this in your life. And it's everyone's responsibility to learn how to, how to eat. It's what draws some of us to the great out of doors, Right? We can't just go to a fast food restaurant. We have to learn how to make our own food, cook our own food. Brings us kind of right back to the very grassroots of life. Thirdly, the word was authoritative. They stood up. They built a special platform. So he stood up high. The the scripture actually says it was like a tower. So he stood on this tower and I don't have 40,000 people listened. And stood. Can you imagine standing for the duration of my message this morning? They stood for like about four or five times that. Why did they stand? Well, some of them were probably like this by the end. Here's why they stood. They understood it was a, it was a symbol of respect. It was a symbol to say the word is going to have authority in our life. Why do you stand for someone? You know, when someone really important comes in the room, do we not all stand up? When someone does something really great at the end of their you know, life and, and we're at a banquet or something and we appreciate what they've done and, and as, as a sign of respect, what do we do? We stand up and give a, a standing ovation. It's a sign of respect. And this is how these people respect God's word. And they say, this is, this is not just going to be something we say is important. This is going to symbolically show its importance. But I would make this kind of clarification that we don't respect God's word until we begin to take it seriously. To say we take it seriously is a lot different than putting it in our schedules. The same person that I was talking about earlier who I, I, I said, you know, you need to learn to start make, not, not just, you know, drink, eat solid food, but you just got to learn how to make your own meal. And you've got to learn how to make meals for others. Came back to me about three weeks later and said, Did you know how awesome the book of Luke is? What chapter are you on? One? I had no idea there was that much in the book of Luke. I was like, well, there's a lot of chapters in Luke. I mean, it just gets better. I think he's on chapter four now. Maybe five. Like two months. Why? He's just... Put it in his schedule. Started going over it. Started figuring out, well, why is that word there? Well, what does that word mean? Started asking questions like, well, why would this be here? Like, how does this explain Jesus? Where is this? Start asking good questions. And he's learning how important the word of God is because he respected the word of God and treated it with authority, like it had authority in his life. And just like you would put anything that you consider important into your schedule and kind of connect it to your wallet, that's what we need to do with Scripture. It's just not negotiable for us. It's in our schedule. We we do what it takes to pay for what we need. Fourthly, uh, the word was applied. We see in the text that it was not enough to simply read it out loud. There's the leaders, so standing on the stage, and then there's literally... There's literally like a bunch of other people that are like kind of like city group leaders. So they're running around there explaining the text. And this is this is what would happen is that, you know, for 140 years, this hadn't really happened in the community in this kind of way. And so there would have been a lot of people who actually spoke Aramaic and wouldn't have actually understood the scripture. And so there are people that would have to interpret it translate it into a language they could understand. And then there were other people. And this was for everyone, not just the men, not just the leaders. This is for everyone. Everyone who had questions, it was like, we got these groups and you can kind of explain what this means to everyone. 
Meaning they didn't want to just hear the Word of God. They wanted to know how it affected their life. And I would say this. You do not respect God's Word until you actually begin to apply it in your life. Because it does apply. Why is this such hard work, you say? Well, I I guess anything that's of value in this world is a result of hard work. You ask anyone who has a great marriage, they will tell you, I didn't just get a great marriage. You ask anyone who has an amazing job, most of the time they will say, I didn't just get this job, you know. There was work involved. Some would even say on Sunday morning, oh, I can't do, you know, I can't get all this stuff out of the text like you do, Trev. This did not just come overnight, my friends. I've been studying Scripture for like 20 years. There's some things that took me a lot longer than they will take you. Like this story. I never had this kind of stuff. It took me a long time to get the connection of Jesus in the Bible. And some of you are brand new to Christianity. You, you hear this faster in your Christian walk than I ever had. And this application is so important that I, I would actually say, I don't believe anyone really cares about Scripture until they begin to apply it to their lives. James actually says this is dangerous. James 1.22, I'll read it for you. James 1.22-25 said this, be, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man or a woman who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Literally, if if you're a hearer of the word on Sunday morning, but you're not a doer of the word, you're like a person who looks in the mirror and completely forgets what they look like. You're, You're useless in terms of in terms of all of your knowledge. I mean, that's an amazing statement to make. C.J. Mahaney writes, This verse tells us that apart from obedience, knowledge can be very deceptive. Peter Davids writes, No matter how extensive one's scriptural knowledge, how amazing one's memory, it is self-deception if that is all there is. True knowledge is the prelude to action, and it is obedience to the word that counts in the end. And friends, I believe this is at the core of any growth that ever happens in urban grace. That if Jesus is going to move in urban grace, it will be he moves through his word. Jesus is so closely tied with his word that he actually says in John chapter 1, it's the word become flesh. Jesus is the word become flesh. He is this in a person. That's how important this is. Don't think of this as information or morals or Things I should do and things I shouldn't do. Things of This is about a person, Jesus Christ, who if you know Him, He can save you. I want to be a church that lifts the word high, but not just lifts the word high and because we stand every week, which we probably won't do, but might do. I want to be a church that just got a lot of good Bible knowledge. I want to be a church that says, they not only hear the word, they not only believe the word, they live out the word. People that can recount scripture, not because they've memorized scripture to like spout off to theological fight club, because it's in here. They, they, it's actually in their heart. And they've collected in the summer seasons when the going is good for the winter seasons. Because some winters, you need the memory that there was summer. Do we not need that this year? Imagine if you had no memory that there was ever summer. How many of you would even be here anymore? None of you. We need the memory of the summer. And Scripture is like that memory. One day, everything will be made right. One day, Jesus will come back. Through the process, he puts us on mission. 
The word says, when you gather together, remember me. And so I close with this as the band comes up. And this is symbolically, again, this is about Jesus. If we know all kinds of scripture, but we don't know that it's really all about Jesus, we're missing everything. And so this is our reminder, symbolically, that everything that we do here is about Jesus. And so every week we celebrate this together. And our tradition simply is to, the first person up just breaks the bread and reminder that Jesus broke his body to give us himself, his word. He shed blood in order that he might come to live among us as a missionary. And as you come, I want you just to, again, worship Jesus and, 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 and consider Jesus that he chose not to simply be silent, but he chose to speak to you clearly through his word. And I want to call you to repent. In what ways have you neglected him? In what ways have you treated this lightly? In what ways have you sat, to use the symbolic, in what ways have you sat down and crossed your arms while everyone has stood in respect? And I want you to confess those sins. And then I want you to come and partake and say, Jesus, you're good. You're gracious enough for me. If this is your first time to Urban Grace, I would say this. This is a symbol. This is a table that is not for those who don't believe in Jesus. So I would say, if you don't believe that this is true about your life, don't come forward. But believe it and then come forward. And then as we close, Tom will lead us in some songs. couple lines I want to um, point out. First one is in Beat Out My Vision. We're going to sing it right as we're taking communion. And, and then